Welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast about the movies that makes us feel seen. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola. Anytime we get to sit down with a member of the Maximum Fun family, it's always a treat, and today is no exception. My co-host is Oscar Montoya, one of the hosts of the new Max Fun podcast, Eurovangelists. Oscar is an actor, a dancer, and comedian who you might recognize from the show Minx, produced by friend of this very show, Paul Feig, or from Dick's the Musical, where he played a dancing garbage man. Oscar is feeling seen by the character of Young Watson from a 1985 film called Young Sherlock Holmes. We are going to get into what that movie is, why it's so important to him, and the nature of identifying with a trusty sidekick. Oscar Montoya, what else do the people need to know about you before we get going here today? Okay, well, thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Jordan. Mm -hmm. Uh, A thing that you need to know about me, this is very important for this particular episode, for this particular movie, um, is that I was born in... Colombia and raised in Colombia. So I am an immigrant mm-hmm. um, and I came to this country when I was 12 years old. So that that's that's a fun fact about me. And another fun fact, this is a non sequitur, is that I've I've never drank ever in my life. So <laughs> Me neither. Really? Never okay, a day, hi. never a drop. Never a day, never a drop. I want to get that tattooed <laughs> on my neck. Right here. <laughs> yeah, it is. It mine has been a life uh, accidentally defined by abstinence. Like it wasn't the plan, but like that very much just like became what it was. And yeah. it like once I hit college, people usually thought I was. If everybody was drinking, they thought I was drunk. I'm very extroverted. <laughs> You're fun without alcohol. It's yeah. like you don't need the help because there's a lot of people who like sort of need that lubricant in order yeah. to tap into that dial to make them keyed in to a social event mm-hmm. but like we don't need that we're fine one we're of fine my one it. of my key sober moments was at a work retreat i worked at wired magazine at the time so it was based in san francisco we had a big the only time i was ever there where there was like a whole company retreat whole wired retreat to a place we went to a hotel in santa barbara the dream Inn. it was wonderful and mm-hmm. one night we did karaoke <laughs> one of our editors is deeply passionate about karaoke and it was like deep into the night like people were having a great time and this woman from the sales team in new york who i had never met till that day came up to me <laughs> and was like do you want to do a shot with me? And I was like, no, but like you should if you want to. And she was so dejected because she was running around like trying to get all of her friends to to do more shots with her. And she was so sure that I was hammered enough to keep drinking (laughs) that she asked me. And so it just like broke her heart so much because like all her friends around her, they were like, she's tried everyone because everyone was kind of ready to be done. But she like wanted to sing. So she wanted to be more drunk. Oh, so she she needed that liquid courage. Yeah. And I I was Mm -hmm. like, listen, I have a policy of karaoke, actually. If anybody asks me to sing with them, I will because I want people to be able to enjoy themselves but not feel alone. So I will figure it out when I get up there if I don't know it, but I will sing with you if that's the way that it's going to get you up on the stage. I was a part of a competitive karaoke league in San Francisco for two years, four seasons. I'm sorry, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Competitive? (laughs) Yeah, uh, we will will get to Sherlock immediately, but it was um, at a bar, an Irish soccer bar, and teams would, like, maximum eight members had to be balanced by gender. And every week you went head to head with another team. Oh, this is like serious. Oh yeah, every week you went head to head with another team, and there were three performances: male solo, female solo, and group song. (laughs) And a panel of three judges would score every song on two, sing it and bring it were equally weighted. So you couldn't just have ringers get up there and just belt and beat everybody. You had to have right. a bring it aspect. We were we were really known for being uh, uh, really sexually audacious performances actually. Um I was we What was we, your go-to? What what is one of your favorite performances? One of my uh, fa- well, actually, one of my favorites was one of our weirdest because we had a couple people who are really into kinks, <laughs> so they had a like a lot of supplies and toys, and okay, so we had a performance of Closer by Nine Inch Nails that our one of our oh our, my god our, yeah I one of our it. members Bo uh, was that was our Trent Reznor and my pitch was like since it's such a dark like kind of like plotting song I was like what if we like tied someone up and just like steadily cut their clothes off of them and that was like the performance but in like a really staged way and they said yes oh but they were like but who's gonna do it I was like well since I introduced the idea like I'll volunteer to be the person 
And shut up. Um, Bo tied me up by like my very in a very professional way. Bo tied me up by my wrists, and we had like a a broom stick hold my arms above my head, and then the rest of the team put on robes and pig masks, and over the course of the song, just like slowly cut my clothes off my body, and I had like hot pants and a corset on on underneath everything, and that was that was the performance for closer. Okay, wait a second. That is the room was gog. No one knew. <laughs> no one knew what to expect from that. That's iconic. That is that's performance art. That's drag. But like Bo had the ropes and the stuff, so it oh, was like, my god, <laughs> bring it back, bring back that performance, please, Jordan. People want to. People want to see it. People want to <laughs> see it. We had a great time. I got to say, feeling seen, folks. Shot it out. Let let Jordan know. <laughs> we the the it was really like I gotta say about karaoke league. I saw people who over the course of four seasons were so timid when they would get up on stage to sing the first time, and by the end of four seasons, mm. were so confident and were so proud and were such stage presences. It was actually a beautiful experience in a lot of ways. Oh my like gosh. everyone was so supportive of each other, just having the best possible time and cheering for each other. It was really magical actually. It feels like a like confidence camp in a way. Yeah. Yeah. This was our theater camp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want that I want that to be a movie. <laughs> You're so right. Wow, that's my that's my musical. But I have taken us so far off the beaten path. Please tell us the movie that you've brought for us today, Oscar. Yes, I have brought in a movie that maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you have never even heard of this movie. It is called Young Sherlock Holmes. I had not. I had not. Most people haven't. And yeah. yet, this is a Barry Levinson-directed, Steven Spielberg-produced film. It was definitely buried in pop culture history. But it's so weird because, you know, I saw this in Colombia, which is weird because, like, when you watch stuff overseas, there's so much of this sort of, like, movies that didn't quite make American canon. Mm. And, like, it sort of becomes, like, very popularized in other countries. Like, I remember, um, like, one of my favorite movies ever, 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 um, was Baby's Day Out. And it's a movie that I like quote endlessly. I love, wow. I reference that movie all the time. And people look at me like I have like five heads. They're like, what movie is this? I was like, what? It's it's Baby's Day Out, iconic. <laughs> and it's so big overseas. As a matter of fact, it is huge in India, so big that there is in fact a Baby's Day Out Bollywood remake. I learned yesterday that there is a there is a Hindi Bollywood remake of The Rock. Yes. And man, I, I need to now watch Baby's Day Out again from here in the States and then watch the Indian version of it. Because watching like watching three hour The Rock with like slow motion effects and like bullet time fight scenes is like, wow, they took it and ran with it. I mean, Bollywood films are are just so amazing. One of my favorite movies ever, as I watched as, a, as an adult, is a Bollywood remake of, get ready for this, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. <laughs> they have a Freddy Krueger Bollywood movie. And I there is a character it. in it. It's so amazing. There's a character in it whose whole deal, his whole deal is that he's obsessed with Michael Jackson. <laughs> what? <laughs> and that's literally nothing to do with the plot of the movie. Um, but uh, obsessed with Michael Jackson, acts like Michael Jackson, has a Michael Jackson-inspired Bollywood movie. I think they were thinking, like, Thriller, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And they sort thing. of did that. It's so wow. amazing. Everyone, y'all need to find it. Y'all need to watch it. It's so good. If it's three hours long, I've been going to uh, – I go to a friend's movie night every week that he's been doing for 20 years. And oh. – um, he does a double feature every weekend. Whoa. I might if this is a three hour movie, it might have to be like, okay, it's three hours, so it's one movie, but yeah. I think we should watch Bollywood Friday the thirteenth. Wow. <laughs> or Bollywood, excuse me, Nightmare on Elm Street. If it's Freddy, it's Nightmare on Elm Street. Apologies, everybody. Yes. <laughs> Put down your pitchforks, people. So, okay, was young Sherlock then 
Was this popular among a lot of people you knew, or was this one that you really fastened on to specifically? Was this like a was this a baby's day out sensation? This was something that was um, very prominent on like uh, Colombian television. Uh huh. Um, so in school, we like talked about it non like all the time because it was like, yeah, this was like in the nineties. I was, I mean, you know, there were like. I just watched it on TV mm-hmm. and it was like the same four movies that I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> they got the international rights for, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. like, Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. That and like earth girls are easy. And yep. like, there were like a, a, another, Oh, um, to Wong Fu also was like a movie that was airing all the time. Um, what a collection. Young Sherlock Holmes was like very much like, Oh, this is like the kids movie. This is like, what the cool kids watched and talked about after school. As I stepped from my carriage, the sight of my new school filled me with fear and apprehension. Yet, I was swept with a wave of curiosity. However, nothing could prepare me for the extraordinary adventure that lay ahead, or the extraordinary individual who would change my life. Now, being steeped in two cultures as you are, what can you trace the threads of what about young Sherlock was so resonant for Colombian kids in Colombia? Like, what are, like, the, you're like, well, there's a thing about, like, this kind of relationship or this kind of dynamic. Like, what was yeah. that that really caught on for you guys? I think it was, um, it literally just felt like a big, like, like a Goonies, you know, like we we love Goonies, mm. we love Monster Squad, and it was very much in that vein. It's a Steven Spielberg produced movie, Barry Levinson directed spectacle. I mean, you had mm. set pieces, you had big action sequences, and you know, the main characters were these kids in this prep mm-hmm. school that felt eerily similar now rewatching it cuz I have not seen this movie since I've lived in Colombia. Okay. So it just felt very similar to like Harry Potter in the sort of like that school system way. Very. Like very British. And there was something exotic about that for us because we that's, that's not how our school is. Yeah. You know, and like also the crazy ass adventures. And also to me, there was, I, I can't speak for my Colombian uh, classmates, but yeah. for me, it felt like uh, this amount of like privilege right mm-hmm. like oh my gosh these kids felt very rich to me <laughs> which i oh, think it was absolutely. just because they sound they were just british so i was like oh they're <laughs> fancy and they have nice clothes and like they all speak really funny like you mm-hmm. know because we're used to watching american films so when people speak in british uh and I, we were like what the fuck is this even like what yeah. what um so there was a sense of like exoticism there that we were <laughs> we were sort of like drooling over like oh cool but it's just a spectacle it was like you know really cool action sequences well and so what is it about young watson that you really connected mm-hmm. with young watson is okay. is is obviously you know he's enchanted by sherlock sherlock's a very enchanting charismatic figure we meet yes. this is we meet this sherlock um he has a sort of love of his life at this yes. school he's passionate like all the kids are talking at dinner one night about what they want to be when they grow up and they're like i want to be a lawyer i want to be rich i want to be a doctor and sherlock's like i never want to be alone and you're like oh yeah. something terrible's <laughs> going to happen to him in this movie cuz we know sherlock is a very solitary figure but for watson I want to enlist in the army. A general. And generals don't make any money. I would prefer to be an author. Authors don't make money. I want to be a barrister. Barristers make money. I want to be a doctor. Nobody asked you. Sorry. Holmes, what about you? What do you want to be when you grow up? I never want to be alone. And Watson is just like in over like my favorite Watson moment in this movie is when they go to an Egyptian bar in the middle of London. (laughs) And they're asking around about like crimes and this like ancient like totem that they have. And like Sherlock's like mission driven. And um, Watson is like, do you have any soup? And I was like, this is perfect. (laughs) I I mean, honestly, please, Watson. 
you know, literally to quote the name of this podcast, I felt so seen at that moment. It's like, yes, that's <laughs> what I would ask if I was at a bar, any bar, uh, because I don't drink. So yes, um, yes. <laughs> I would ask for soup. <laughs> what can I get for you, boys? Drink, food, women. <laughs> Do you have any soup? Please. To me, I've always been drawn to characters that read as smart. Like, I was always someone who was like, mm. I want to be the smart person. I am the, 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 the guy with the glasses. I am, there were, I had this like mm-hmm. resistance towards protagonists, main characters, leader type people, because I never saw myself as that. And mm-hmm. I never was that ever. Like I, I, I don't yeah. like leaders. I, I, I'm just like, no, no, I want to be the person sure. who's like the right hand person of the lead. I want to be, to me, there was something really cool about Watson because he was very smart. And to me, I have never, ever seen a movie where, I mean, let's be honest, Watson is the protagonist of this movie. We are watching yeah. this movie through the lens of Watson. Watson is the narrator. Mm-hmm. He's like narrating it as an adult, sort of reminiscing about his childhood with young Sherlock Holmes. Because they made, I've never, I didn't clock this as a kid, mm-hmm. but watching it as an adult, I'm like, they make great uh, lengths to uh, be like, this isn't par- yes. this isn't canonized. This is not part no. of Sir Conan Arthur Doyle's like fantasy, right? This is our, this is like yeah. They're what like if? Arthur Conan, Sir yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle did such an amazing job. We just wanted yeah. to pay homage to this thing. This has nothing to do. We did not talk to him. He did not sanction this, but we're so grateful to him. There are like yeah. there's like a preamble and a postscript that's like just Absol- so you know, which I'm like, don't sue us. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it just felt very much like the very first fan fiction to me, which I really like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, this is you're just writing fat. This movie is a fan fiction. But to me, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have never seen a movie where sort of a beta character, someone who is like yeah. very much on the peripheral of a, of a narrative mm-hmm. is sort of the focus of this movie. Like he, he is a star. We are led to identify with Watson and mm-hmm. I've never experienced that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this movie feels like it was made for me, for the people, for the nerds who identify with the nerds <laughs> in movies, the people who identify with the shyer, quieter types, the people who watch the leaders, who watch and support the alpha yeah. people in our lives and sort of like um, live vicariously through them. Like, Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. OK, so like I when I was in elementary school, I was like a very weird quiet shy kid and i was made fun of a lot i was i had okay i didn't really talk to people i had a Mm -hmm. mood ring i was known as the mood ring boy in 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 school oh wow because um everything i did was dictated by a mood ring that i had so depending on the color (laughs) that was like what i did and i just like didn't talk to I was just like stare at this ring forever and it was because I was terribly shy like I just didn't know Mm -hmm. how to talk to people and I was made fun of relentlessly and Mm -hmm. I at an early age I was maybe like six years old I realized like okay I need to like adapt to my surroundings in order to survive Mm -hmm. at that moment it was dire at that moment it was like okay I need to like figure out what to do so I Mm -hmm. started hanging out with people who I'm like, okay, no one's talking to this person. And it was typically like the Mm -hmm. bully of the school, the kid who was physically larger, who was just like very Mm -hmm. angry. And I was like, okay, I want to be friends with that person. And Mm -hmm. um, I did. I was like one of the few people who would talk to people like that because like everyone else was scared of them. You really went for prison rules. Make friends with the biggest guy in the yard. Absolutely. 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 And it was a way it was a way for me to survive. I was like, they're going to eat me up either. You know what I mean? Be wet, be with them or be beat up, you know? So mm-hmm. I made friends mm-hmm. with uh, my very first friend, uh, Christian Castro. And uh, he was like, oh, my God, you, I 
someone cares. And we became mm-hmm. very good friends. And for yeah. me, he was like my protection. So in a way, I was like Watson and he was yeah. like Sherlock, where mm-hmm. he was very much an alpha. And I was just very mm-hmm. much at his side, just sort of like not talking to anyone. I was still living my mood ring fantasy and <laughs> I was left alone because I was protected, you know? Yeah. So it w- when I saw this movie, I was like, oh my God, it's like, you know, art imitating life in a weird way. Like I just felt <laughs> so seen by this movie that it was just like, oh my gosh, if I, I don't have to do all the dangerous stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? I And still have an adventure in life. Like I could just like tag around with people who are just like very bold, very brave people like you, Jordan. Like I would have been in that uh, karaoke group, but I would, I'd be, I'd be doing b- backup dancing. You know what I mean? I would never take the mic. Uh uh-uh. uh. And and as I know now, we would have fucking elite backup dancing if that was the case. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I'm realizing now that like like the way you're framing young Sherlock, Saltburn is not not. Dark young Sherlock. Saltburn is not Wait not what second. you are describing right now. Wait In the a second. Barry Keegan Jacob Elordi's sense of the dynamic here. You are absolutely on the nose there. Prep school, very British. This very British needs to be a part of. Wow. A sexual height difference between the two male friends. <laughs> a sexual height difference. <laughs> Oh my gosh, copyright sexual height difference, please. Yeah, very important details. <laughs> because you're right, yeah, like yeah, there was. That's, that's a Kyle Buchanan special. He's now the projectionist writer for the New York Times, but previously when he worked at Vulture, he was really big on chronicling sexual height differences in movies, i.e. Gwendolyn but, Christie and Oscar Isaac in oh The Force Awakens God. and such. Wait a second. Wow, that is so true. Like, <laughs> I never even thought about that factor. Yeah, because, like, Sherlock Holmes is long and lanky. Yeah. And Watson. I mean, listen, let's be real. Let's be real. Young, old, teenage, middle-aged Sherlock Holmes. Like, there's something queer about Sherlock Holmes, yes? And there's something queer about Sherlock's relationship with Watson. Do you know what I mean? There is something a little left of center, shall we say, you know? No doubt. (laughs) And maybe that's what I, like, latched onto, too, as, like, someone who is queer but, like, didn't know it when I was younger. That was actually something I was going to ask you about, was, like, that that pattern of queering, like, close, like, obviously close, like, same-gender friendships of any, any, like, you know, story of coming of age. But, like, there is an especially strong queerness of, like, the male hero companions that, like, like, Batman and Robin, Sherlock and Watson like this is a dynamic that we recognize in fi- I feel mm-hmm. like Harry and Ron wasn't really that thing but like Luke and Han is like has notes of that as well this Absolutely. pairing of like the ascendant beta with like the swaggering alpha and the yes. way they're like dynamic like it is that is such a queer narrative that is such a queer narrative it really is because and, and I think I I didn't realize it at the time but I now that I'm reflecting and now that we're having this conversation about it, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. That is the truth. And, you know, also there was, I was also obsessed with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers growing up. Like that was oh, like yeah. my Bible. That was my religion. Yeah. And I <laughs> always keyed in based on this formula that I have about always latching onto the smart one in a group. I was always obsessed with Billy the Blue Ranger played by right, yep. David Yost, who mm-hmm. is an icon, my literal hero. Uh, I literally met him once, and I do not remember the conversation because I blacked out. Um, (laughs) I love David Yost. But, you know, David Yost is is gay, and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of influence there in his portrayal of Billy the Blue Ranger. And I I latched onto that because he felt different. He felt special. And I think there's also an, an element of queerness in the way that Watson was acting towards Sherlock because Watson yes. didn't have a love interest. No. His love interest was Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you oh, know absolutely. what I mean? I, mean, I think when we get the when we get the Benedict Cumberbatch series with Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch, I think that they like the, the Robert Downey Jr. Jude Law thing really leans in that direction too. There's like almost like a quirky queerness about him. Like is yeah. is Sherlock gay or is he an eccentric kind of thing? <laughs> 
Did you know the Opera House is featuring Don Giovanni? I could easily procure a couple of tickets if you had any cultural inclinations this evening. You have the grand gift of silence, Watson. It makes you quite invaluable as a companion. But like between right. Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch, you really get a prevailing sense of these two as companions. Like these are life absolutely. partners, and in many ways, like Watson is absolutely the love of Sherlock's life. And though Watson is more conventional, there isn't anybody that he has in his life like Sherlock. Even if you know the love of his life, who might be a woman, like there is not a person who can occupy a space like the extraordinary Sherlock Holmes. You have missed this. Admit it. The thrill of the chase, the blood pumping through your veins, just the two of us against the rest of the world. Absolutely. There's a sense of admiration mm-hmm. and like, um, and also, I, I mean, I don't know if this is canon because I, I don't know, Jordan, if you've ever read a Sherlock Holmes novel. I certainly have not. Like, Never this read movie the did not inspire me to read anything. No. Um, but like, I don't know. I think the way Sh- Sherlock and Watson's relationship is portrayed in media, at least, mm-hmm. is that Sherlock Holmes is sort of like keyed in, but also misses details of a case where yes. Watson sort of reminds Sherlock like, oh, yeah, this thing. Right. Yeah. So Watson could solve a case by himself. Like he literally <laughs> could have a spinoff show and be like yeah. Watson. But Watson doesn't want to. Because he wants to be, for him, it's always Sherlock and Watson. And Mm -hmm. I think that also speaks to me. Like, I don't want to do things by myself. I could, Mm -hmm. but I don't Mm -hmm. want to. I want to be a part of a team, you know? I want to be a part of like, and that's always been my case in everything I've done professionally. Like, I Mm -hmm. was a dancer. I was attracted to modern and contemporary because I've always been drawn to, um, like, a collective, a group of people mm. choreographing stuff together. You know, I've never really done anything by myself uh, in terms of like choreographing or like doing any dance performances. I've mm. never done solo stuff. Solo stuff freaks me out. And right now, like in comedy, I do a lot of improv comedy. That's mm. very group focused, you know? Yeah. So I've been just very team oriented. And I think it stems from this idea of Watson being like, I know I could do it by myself, but I don't want to. And there's something really powerful about that, right? Of like having the tools to do things by yourself but that choosing to be part of a team I completely I align with that 100% that is absolutely how I function as well like I can go to movies by myself I go to meals by myself I go to big concerts by myself because sometimes just planning with another person is just too complicated it's like I just want to fucking go but like Mm -hmm. I would I just rather be in the company of other people I like I liked I liked writing at Vulture, but digital journalism is a really isolating kind of thing, and you're mostly on your own. Sometimes you collaborate, but otherwise it's like kind of entrepreneurial. And I missed being on a magazine staff at Wired and like being a part, a component of a greater machine that got a story yeah. out the door instead of just being the sort of story process top to bottom. And I just like, I've always thought of myself as like, I've never, I don't think I would be immune to being in a cult. I think that <laughs> could absolutely sweep me up. Same. And I think I would be a perfect <laughs> second in command in a cult. Yeah. I'm not going to be a cult leader. I'm not going to be one of the general followers. So you I'm get it, Jordan. I'm going to be at the right hand of power, being counsel and support and a consigliere. But like, and I think that would be a very comfortable position for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Same, 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 same. I totally agree. Um, yeah. Who wants the responsibility of being like the figurehead? That is way (laughs) too much responsibility for me. Just too much attention. I'm not into that. Let me hide in the shadows. Let me support. (laughs) Let me, uh, you know, give me, I'll give you some advice, but like Mm. you do, you do all the work. You, you, you take over. Go ahead. And I, I love a spotlight when I want a spotlight, but like my joy comes from, I'm a hype man. I love being a hype mm-hmm. man. I love making people feel good. I love juicing people up. Like, that's where my joy comes from. So, Absolutely. like, that, like, I've often in, like, friend groups or, like, friend pairings, I, like, it's sort of in a capacity of, like, I will be the gas on the fire because I want to make your fire bigger. And that's the thing that Absolutely. makes me most happy. Listen, we're the flavor flaves of our group. Absolutely. Center, okay? And that's yep. okay. There's nothing. People love flavor flaves. You know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> We need a Flavor Flav, and we are those people, so. It's time for a quick break. Then I'll be right back with Oscar Montoya. And at the very end, I will have one quick thing before I go about a little deluge of good horror movies that are coming down the pipe that I think we should all be excited about together. 
Have you ever wanted to know the sad lore behind Chuck E. Cheese's love of birthday parties? Or, my Saturday mornings are reserved for cartoons? Or, have you wanted to know how beloved virtual pet site Neopets fell into the hands of Scientologists? Or, how a former Mattel employee managed to grow Sega into a video game powerhouse? Join us, hosts Austin and Brenda, and learn all of these things and more at Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries, now on Maximum Fun. The following are real reenactments of pretend emergency calls. 
But um, yeah, the, I like that the movie was, no, this is about three people who are best buddies and they're just going to have an adventure together. Yeah. And that's great. And I like the emphasis on adventure. I like the emphasis on adventure. I thought that was really, like like you said, like that Goonies feeling of a movie. Like mm-hmm. the idea of like, Goonies is far too ragtag Motley crew for British things. Like it, it has to be like Hogwarts light kind of situation. It's a prep school and it's made of stone. Like, no, like a British yeah. child Goonies has to be in like a hall of academia You're where right. there are headmasters. It can't be just like shit kicking children from Astoria, Oregon, who are like digging around in tunnels. That doesn't work. Yeah, they're British still, you know. They yeah, still have some yeah, they're some still decorum English. about them. Yeah. <laughs> I also love like I just like per- like throughout it, like I kept having to like like recalibrate because like like the British humor sensibility is just like the amount of times like Sherlock just insults Watson in the, like in the way that like it felt normal because it was British and also like we get that vibe of Sherlock, but at the same time he's like, oh Watson, you're such an idiot, like. Yeah. Like, ah, ah. I know. Like, oh, well, that's just that's just their way. But like, oh, how could you be so it's stupid, a, Watson? And he says it like it's I like know, a loving. It's their love language. It's their love yeah. language. It's like, oh God, that's gonna give him a compliment. No wonder he's in love with Sherlock. He's completely beholden to this man <laughs> who shaped his love, his way of loving through like mild abuse. <laughs> yeah, Sherlock Holmes has read The Pickup Artist uh, and is using some of the negging, negging. Uh, tactics on He's that. negging yeah. Watson. <laughs> what have I found? Only the three of us know that I'm here. Someone missing you leaving or coming in. I'll take my chances. But you'll need food, supplies. Me? I can't. I... You can run errands for me, work as my assistant. But I might get caught, and that would mean trouble. Trouble? You would let trouble ruin an opportunity for adventure. I can't afford to jeopardize my medical career. Weasel. I'm not a weasel. I am practical. Weasels are practical. And I imagined you courageous, stout of heart. I am courageous. And I'm stout of heart. It's just that... All right, I'll do it. Thank you, Watson. I love the arc of, like, this, like, you attaching to this, and you said, like, part of the appeal of it, growing up in Columbia, and this extremely, like, buttoned-up British piece of fiction, and, like, the exoticism of that, and that being compelling. And now you have an entire podcast dead called Eurovangelist, dedicated <laughs> oh right. to evangelizing one of the most, like, European is, like, a weird thing to say, because there are many nations within Europe, obviously, but, like, the extremely deeply, like, European Union, at this point, custom of engaging oh, in inter intercountry battle through song. <laughs> yeah, and performance. Listen, it's no different than your competitive karaoke. Hearing team. you talk it's about it on the podcast, the same, that's actually. what it sounds like. Hearing yeah. you talk about it on the podcast, that's what it sounds like. I was like, oh my God, this is karaoke league. Jordan, I'm telling you, listen, if you are ever, if you want to compete in Eurovision, San Remo, <laughs> the country, the tiny little country of San Remo allows people not from San Remo to, really? to apply for Eurovision. So listen, <laughs> if you have a song cooking in your brain, oh my write God. it down and get your, the, get the crew together and compete in Eurovision. I will be the actual, like, I will be the real, like, like the come up story of like Rachel McAdams and Will Ferrell <laughs> in like the Eurovision song of five. Story. Absolutely. I will be that like people will I will have my Hustavik and this is how this is how I win. Yes. I was yes, so pleased exactly. in the first episode of the Eurovangelist pod, I was so pleased to hear you guys start talking about Melody Festival because my wife is Swedish. And so I have lately <gasps> been hearing Shut about up. Melody Festival. So when you guys started talking about it, I was like, it was a week ago that I was having this conversation with her and a few of her friends about how, like, and one of her friends, this he's very proud of how many times Sweden has won Eurovision. And then you guys started talking about it, tied for most all time with Ireland. I was mm-hmm. like, this mm. is this is a part of my life now. Oh my god. So you get it, right? Like your vision is culture, especially <laughs> European culture, absolutely. It's just part of the lexicon. It is our it's sort of like their version of the Super Bowl. It's like the Super Bowl is unavoidable mm. in American culture. It's just yeah. 
that's it. It's people gather around, people pregame, people have events associated to the Super Bowl. We're just replacing football with singing and dancing and costumes and, <laughs> and performance and glitz and glamour. That's yeah, it. and it seems like it'd be like it's like okay, guys, like the the 20th century New England Patriots are Ireland and Sweden of Eurovision. That part, like they that are part. they are the Yankees, they are the Celtics, Lakers. Like these are the figures. It seems like that these two countries are in Eurovision. Yes. Now, Jordan, let me ask you: What is a sports team that was like? Really good back in the day, but now is not anymore. I, the, I, I was when you were talking about actually in the episode where you're talking about like the reign of Ireland in the 90s. I was like, oh, they're the Bulls. They're the Jordan Bulls of the 90s. <laughs> like just cleaning well, house go. with Michael Jordan, getting the six rings. I was like, that's what they are. They, they, Ireland is the 90s Chicago Bulls of Eurovision, and it really feels like it's a it's a legacy that I would imagine they're clamoring to get back to to re to reclaim. Absolutely. Yeah, they haven't won since uh, 96, I believe. So it's been a minute. It's been a minute. And, uh, you know, I'll be very honest. They just we we found out what their song is. It's uh, an artist named Bambi Thug. And um, do I think they have what it takes to win this year? Um, If you ask me, my personal take is absolutely not. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh But that's the magic of Eurovision. It's like you just never know. You just never know who's who's going to take it. I really think that like we need to have like a like a like a U a, a U.S. a United Vision where it is like I think the states need to fight it out in song. Like I think like people need to. Our divisions are such that we need to fucking get on stage and have this out in song. Well, you know, not for nothing, but Jordan, we did. We had an American song contest that was released two years ago, hosted by Kelly Clarkson and Snoop Dogg. That's right. And it was an absolute bomb. No one cared. Where all 50 states competed with their songs and no one watched it. I haven't watched it. Wow. <laughs> I don't care. That's, cr- it's, that's, that's just so yeah. interesting to me because it feels like people will watch anything. Like, it like it feels like people will watch it. Like, they'll watch The Masked yep. Singer, like an import show. Absolutely. And so, like, I, the voice, I wonder why this American Idol. singing show didn't, like, we watch singing shows. It's not like, yeah. well, nobody will watch people sing on television. That's so, because now that you see the hosts, I totally remember that. Yeah. It was this just a blip like- in American culture, and that was it. So to me, there's something so interesting about like the psyche, the mm. American psyche, that won't get yeah. on board with a song contest, but European culture is like all about it. It's like, what is that? I wonder if Americans would watch it if it became like a global a global vision, and we could kick and the asses of other saying. countries. I wonder if America would be like, oh, I'm going to tune in to watch us beat the shit out of Azerbaijan. If if the U.S. was a part of the EBU, the European Uh Broadcast Union, and competed in Eurovision, like Australia does, because Australia isn't obviously part of Europe, but they are part of the EBU, and they compete in Eurovision. If the U.S. were allowed to be in Eurovision... It would take America by storm. America would be so, so into it. Maybe a little too aggressive into it, but I yeah. 100%. If they're talking about like defeating other countries, oh, you know, you know that we'd be all up on it. I, it would somehow become like a cause of Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know? And it would be like, well, this was fun <laughs> oh until fucking Ted Cruz started podcasting about it. Yes. Oh, not the Republicans taking everything fun and ruining it. <laughs> you know what? Maybe our way in, maybe America becomes the shadow competitor via San Remo. Maybe that's it. America (laughs) become like we are the shadow boxing figure in Eurovision because we always just compete for San on behalf of San Remo. Well, you know, Jordan, it's it's sounding like uh, you want to join Eurovision and compete uh, (laughs) under San Remo. But as a matter of fact, two years ago, San Remo sent an artist called Sanit into mm. the um, the song contest, but Sanit invited a little known artist called Flo Rida, 
and oh. they competed. So people were like a huge American artist in Eurovision, yeah. and they did okay. But part of the reason why they didn't do great because I thought the song was really fun and people liked that song is that they didn't like an American in Eurovision Song Contest. They were like, no, this is not for you. This is for us. That makes so much sense. And they have the right. They have the right. That is so fair. Wow. We would permanently, we would we would make San Remo the permanent last place finisher in Eurovision. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe that throwing fucking Flo Rida in there. Like, what is Flo that? Of all people. I know. They're like, who do we get? Who's, who's hot in the U.S.? Oh, yeah. The guy who did the Timber song. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, I guess like my my wrapping up question would be then, have you honed your like bespectacled, smart, hype man like role into the it's like finest edge that you feel like is serving you best at this point? Do you feel like that is like I am Watson and I could solve my own cases? But this is not what I'm choosing to do. Do you feel like you have arrived at that self-determination of a John Watson? You know, I feel like that's a great question. And um, I feel like my whole life has led to live that sort of life thanks yeah. to this movie. Um, and I feel like I I have lived that life pretty authentically. Like, mm. for example, every project that has been, brought me so much joy, for example, mm-hmm. Your Evangelist, like... Um, I had a podcast called Inside the Disney Vault where I watched every single Disney animated movie in chronological order. Um, Everything that I've done, every podcast that I've been a part of, every project that I've taken on has always been collaborative. Mm -hmm. I have never launched anything solo. Yeah. Because not that I can't do it. Like, I probably could launch a solo thing, but it just doesn't bring me joy. It doesn't bring me joy in the sense that I... That I like am talking about things that I love with my friends, that mm-hmm. we can have a discourse about it, that I can look at someone and be like, Yeah, you're the shit. You're amazing. Like, mm-hmm. let's do this together, you know? I feel like I have come, you know, I'm wearing glasses. You know, I didn't wear glasses when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, I'm wearing glasses now because I'm blind as a bat now. So I think I am embodying the the Watson. I am, I feel like if my younger self could see me now. I would mm. be like, oh my gosh, look at this mood ring boy. He's turned into <laughs> the person that I, wanted, that I wanted to be all along. And I, I yeah, I think that I've, I've come as my own, as, my, as my, my social friends, like hype person. And I, and I love that. You know what they say? Like, but it's the whole like behind every good man is like a great woman. Behind every behind every good dominant force out there, there is a great Jordan Cruciola and Oscar Montoya fanning the flames to make them burn brighter. And and we Standing are ovation. we are I I am a proud Hufflepuff in this world to take it to more <laughs> British metaphor. And I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't be prouder of us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, listen, if there's a takeaway here, listeners, just show some love to your supportive smart friend. That's you know right. what I mean? Just like take a moment to be like, you know what? I see you. You've been there for me. You've given me a lot of the spotlight. And I thank you. Do that. Do that for your smart friend. Oscar, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your time. Oh, and thank you for being a Eurovangelist on Maximum oh, Fun. You. you have sold me. And I know speaking producer Marissa, she's like, I think I'm going to keep listening to that show. I'm like, yeah. Yay! I think we're in now. <laughs> Good. See, you're part of it. I've, we've done it. We brought you to the cult of Eurovision. One the tent, of is, us. The tent is One big and warm, us. everybody. The tent is big and warm. <laughs> A very big thank you to Oscar Montoya. Uh, perhaps my double? Have you seen us in the same room at the same time? I think not. You can listen to Eurovangelists anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have even the slightest inkling to know more about the Eurovision Song Contest, you really sincerely should give it a listen. They will get you up to speed on like a half a century of Eurovision shockingly fast. And we will put a link to that in the show notes. And then if you want to check out Young Sherlock Holmes, it's currently streaming on Paramount Plus and Prime. And now that one quick thing before I go, a little shout out to uh, the new horror movies we have coming up on the horizon. I feel like we're in this interesting time in horror in terms of the discourse around it, where I do think the 
sort of mainstream conversational bubble around the genre that really expanded with the sort of tandem rising tide lifting all boats of indie art house and uh, studio films uh, going big with the arrival of movies like It Follows, The Witch, The Babadook, you know, Get Out all arriving at the same time. That really swelled for a number of years. And I feel like we've come to this place now where there are just as many good horror movies. They are just as good as the movies that came out at the peak of that bubble. But I feel like there's, I don't know, maybe people have just sort of moved on from talking about it as much. Uh, I got a whole theory on it. I won't get into the weeds of it now, but this does not mean just because the conversation seems to have shifted sort of down a few degrees that there are not just as many fantastic horror movies coming out now as there ever have been. For example, obviously we just had Lisa Frankenstein, which you guys know I really enjoyed. There's Imaginary, some gateway horror coming up from Blumhouse that I'm actually really excited about. There's a nunsploitation movie, nunsploitation movie starring Sydney Sweeney. Just wanted to repeat that to make sure you got it. Uh, teaming up again with her voyeurs director, Michael Moen. And if you guys want a zany erotic thriller that really harkens back to the 90s, you should check that out. Um, after seeing a trailer on a big screen for A Quiet Place Day One starring Lupita Nyong'o, I got a wave of anticipation about that. I'm super excited about it. Huge bonus to put Lupita Nyong'o at the front of anything. There's a new M. Night Shyamalan with The Watchers starring Dakota Fanning. Uh, we have got the first Omen coming up, and you know, prequels to long-standing legacy franchises can be a bit dicey, but let's see what they've got with the Demon Child coming up. Uh, Abigail from the Radio Silence Collective, they've stepped away from the Scream franchise, and now they're doing another, like, cool house of horror as, you know, a la Ready or Not, perhaps, with a little vampire ballerina girl, and that sounds exciting. There's a Beetlejuice movie starring Jenna Ortega, and we show up for Jenna Ortega on this podcast. If you didn't see Miller's Girl yet, you've still got some homework to do. And then there's Tarot, which, like, could, feels like it kind of could be, like, an IP movie of the week, like a gimmick cashing in thing. But honestly, the trailer played uh, before a movie I went and saw recently, and I felt like I was watching a 13 Ghosts preview, and it looked... Really fun and really exciting. There's also Cuckoo from the director of Luz, starring Hunter Schaefer, the Hunter Schaefer. This is a lot to get excited about, you guys. So, and hey, I do consider Civil War, the upcoming A24 movie, about the oh too realistic possibility of America fracturing into a hot civil war. I'm going to call that horror because I lose sleep about it somewhat regularly. And it makes me want to cry and throw up. Literal screaming, crying, and throwing up, but not in a stand way, in a dread way. So yeah, that's just what I could rattle off right now. That's not looking toward the ton, you know, all long game rest of 2024. That's like first half of the year, maybe first quarter of the year. So let's get on our horses and ride to some horror movies together. And that is the victorious end of our show. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod, or send us an email at feelingscene@maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Eben. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.